I want to go back to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you would find that. I'm going to read this to you from, uh, from the King James Version, but 1 uh, Timothy chapter 4. And uh, we're not looking to be demonized, are we, church? No. We're more than conquerors. That's right. And I don't want to segue into to Mac, to Mark chapter 4 and spend all the time there, but if you'll remember, Mark 4 is a picture of the sower sowing the Word, and the Word falls on what? Falls on the path, and the birds come eat it up. Amen. It falls on, on, on sunny ground and it springs up real quickly at the, uh, the thought of God doing great things and the, the hope of what God can do in His Word. But because there is no root, what happens when persecution comes? It wilts away. We also understand that even if that happens, if somebody survives that particular assault or attack, there are things that grab our attention to try to entice us away from the Word of God, to choke out the Word of God. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh and the pride of life. So these things enter into our Christian experience. All of us are subject to the reality that we have an enemy. Look at your neighbor and say, you have an enemy. And despite how wonderful you are, he hates your stinking guts. And we're deluded if we think we don't have one. We live in some kind of a bubble where there is no enemy. But there really is. And if he came after Jesus as he did, he comes after us. So I just said I'd say this, that uh, in, in general... The assignment of the enemy operating against human beings falls into one of four categories. But before I review those with you, read with me in 1 uh, Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly. This is important because what you have here is the Spirit of God prophesying through Paul for the last days, a message. Say this with me, it's a message. It's a message. The concept of expressly means emphatically, means to underscore. It's to draw your attention to what he's about to say. This is extremely important. In the Hebrew, when you see something repeated, I know you've read Psalms and Proverbs where it seemed like the author is just repeating himself within two lines. That's for emphasis. When you see that in the Hebrew, translated into English, you need to pay attention to what they're saying because it's important. How many know when Jesus says, truly, truly? Amen. Or if you repeat your name twice like you did with Martha. Martha, Martha. Barbara, Barbara. You better be listening to what he has to say. And I believe she does. Amen. Let's pick on somebody else. Sharon, Sharon. <laughs> you can put your name in there. But there are times in the construction of, a, of a, a sentence in Greek where it's just clear that it's like blowing a trumpet, shining a spotlight. You've got to pay attention to this. And that's what Paul was saying to Timothy. The Spirit says expressly that in the latter times, Raise your hand if you believe we're in the last days. Any confusion about that? Any doubt at all you're in the last days? People are nuts. Nations are nuts. Amen. Some Christians are nuts. And if not nuts, they're flakes. Amen. If not flakes, they're fruits. Amen. Rootless, fruitless, and clueless. These are the days that we're in. I say that's not my testimony. That in latter times, some shall depart from the faith. You can't depart something you didn't first have. That's not the important thing. That should be, you know, understanding. If I can choose to confess Christ, I can choose to deny or denounce Him. Why is that? Because I never lose my free moral agency. You see this? But that's not even the important part. That's just statement of fact. A great falling away has been prophesied. And whether people say, well, I'm just, you know, reconfiguring things or rethinking things or using the modern language today of deconstructing their faith, it all means the same thing. They're departing from the faith, regardless of the reason or the excuse they use. At the end of the day, if I use some believer, some pastor, some preacher, some church, some experience I've been through, some hurt, some offense, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. If, in fact, I'm walking away from the Lord who purchased me, got that? I'm departing from the faith. Departing from the faith, giving heed. So here's the reason why. They're giving heed to. Remember when Mark says, take heed what you hear? Yes. Obviously, this is not what you should be taking heed to. But it says, taking heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. These are deluding spirits, intentionally deceptive and deceiving. 
So to understand this clearly tonight, uh, by seduction, we mean the gradual luring away. I mean, you know, our fishermen or fisher ladies out there. And what happens when you throw the right bait out there? And you reel it in. And hopefully it's the kind of fish that you want to eat. Amen. You want to catch? And wham, it's going to grab that lure and you're going to bring them into the boat. Well, this is exactly what the enemy is doing. The seducing spirit is gradually luring somebody away from right conduct and from right believing. Say it with me, what they do and what they believe. So before they're being lured away, they're acting right and they're believing right. But now because they're being lured in, they're being lured away from right conduct and right believing to wrong conduct and wrong believing. And I've watched this as a pastor and I've noticed that, guess what? These two go hand in hand. Wrong conduct always goes hand in hand with wrong believing. Are you here tonight? So seducing spirits are are spirits. They're demonic influences and they're real. And they're there to gradually, say gradually. Have you all ever heard the phrase about the the frog in the kettle? If you turn up the water and boil it and throw a frog in there, what's going to happen to it? Well, unless he's really stupid, what's he going to do? He's going to jump out. But that's not how this spirit works. Up a degree, up two degrees, up five degrees, change the atmosphere very, very slowly so the temperature is imperceptible. But how do you understand it'll still get to a certain place where that frog will be killed by that temperature, whether it's gradual or not. This is what happens. So it's the gradual seduction of someone away or luring away from somebody of right conduct and right behavior and right believing, and you can think, uh, you know, you can also say right thinking in terms of right uh, believing. The doctrines of devils are things that people are communicating oftentimes in the name of God, but they're communicated through people, but they're inspired by the enemy himself. I'll give you an example. If you're the devil and you want to get more people to hell, get preachers to stop preaching about hell. Tell them there's no devil. Tell them hell was made up by the Catholic Church just to scare people into submission. Well, here's the question for you. Which came first, the Catholic Church or Jesus of Nazareth? How do you say Jesus of Nazareth predates the Catholic Church? You better say amen, amen. (laughs) And did Jesus talk about hell? Did he talk about what it's like? Yes, the doctrine of hell doesn't come from the Catholic Church. The doctrine of hell comes from Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So if I'm the devil and I want to get more people there, well, all you got to do is just have people stop believing in the devil, stop believing this is real, and I just kind of live how I want to. And, um, and subtle emphases, too, like de-emphasizing things like the catching away of the church. We just kind of live like everybody else because actually, you know what, there's no reason to, there's no motivation to live pure in a dirty world. And all kinds of these little subtle things. But I'm telling you, and I've said this many times, I've never invited a demon to be a guest speaker. So it's not coming through. The spirit itself is not showing up. It's the inspiration of a demonic spirit on someone who has a platform, yes. a position of influence. And these days, if you have a YouTube channel, yeah. Facebook, amen, any technology at all, you can have your podcast, you can self-publish, you can do anything you want to do. And the problem is all the voices that are out there, so you have to be more discerning than ever. Say it with me, I have a discerning heart. How do you want to be more discerning? Yes. Raise your hand if you want to be more discerning. One is spend more time than you ever have in the Word, because that's where general discernment comes from. And two, ask God to make sure you walk in the spiritual gift of discerning of spirits every day of your life. So you know the source of an utterance, a manifestation, a word, a message, a prophecy, whatever it is. And the wonderful thing about discerning of spirits is because of the Spirit of God, you know instantly, I may not know exactly what's wrong with it, but that's not of God. And you just simply go about your way without being deceived or deluded or seduced by that stuff. Now, I'll tell you what, people that are preaching this garbage around the country, they need to repent, repent now. It's one thing for for we you know ourselves to send ourselves to hell as leaders. It's nothing to take a congregation with you. Amen. To tell them that things are different than what Jesus preached is a doctrine of devils. And isn't it amazing that there must have been some of that going on? But how many know Paul has hit us right between the eyes? We're in that day. Say it with me: seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Say it one more time, seducing spirits spirits. 
and doctrines of devils. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to read this from verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome or be in strife, but must be kind to everyone. Even if they treat you lousy, yes. Even if they walk all over you, yes. Even if they talk ugly about you behind your back, yes. Able to teach, not resentful. Say it with me, I am not resentful. Boldly say it, I am kind to everyone. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance. Interesting word, opponents, isn't it? Because there are sometimes people set themselves up as opponents of God or opponents of people in the church, opponents of leadership. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, that they will come to their senses. Say that when come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Now, this person is, is thinking they might be doing God's will, but in reality, they've been taken captive to do the will of the evil one. Now, how many of you say, I don't want to do the devil's will? Raise your hand if you ever struggle with God's will on something. Ever ask you to do something that was a little bit uncomfortable? That's understandable. But to walk around, you know, actually not only not doing God's will, but actually doing the will of the devil, a tool of the evil one. Zero in on this phrase, come to their senses. It literally means in the Greek, they may become unintoxicated again. What is the scripture telling us? These people are spiritually intoxicated. Are you here tonight? That's what's going on all over the body of Christ. When it comes to demonization, that is the best way to describe it. Folks are spiritually intoxicated. It's not alcohol. It's not drugs. It's not reefer. Are you here today? It's not opioids. It's not cocaine. It's not heroin. They're literally being intoxicated spiritually because they are in a place of being demonized. Now we'll, you know, underscore that again, what that exactly means as it compares to other things like temptation. But you know, we can't afford to spend even a day spiritually intoxicated. I've watched people make decisions like that. Five minutes, ten minutes, just flash decisions and destroy everybody in their lives. And they didn't do it because they wanted to necessarily, because they were in a place of spiritual intoxication. And if you think it can happen to you, take heed. I mean, when you stand, at least you fall. This is not a time for, well, that can never happen to me. Uh, if you put yourself on the right path, it can happen to you. But I want to say this to you. No one ever got demonized in a night. No. Didn't happen. Went to bed last night loving Jesus. Praise the Lord. Woke up demonized. No. It didn't happen that way. It's like Creflo talks about, you know, this person comes to him. They want marriage counseling. And he says, I don't know what happened. I just, you know, I just went over to this person's house and, and my clothes fell off. <laughs> and how did I get in this bed? I'll tell you how. Because you went over there. And you undressed, and you got involved, and you had that affair. Does that make sense? It just didn't happen to you. And demonization just doesn't happen to you, but it didn't happen overnight. A door here, a door there, an influence here, an influence there, an opportunity here, an opportunity. And next thing you know, you don't even realize that. Even if people that are very, very close to you try to hold up a mirror and say, this is really not who you are, when you get to the place of demonization, you know, you're not all that interested. Let me put it this way. You're no longer all that teachable. And you're certainly not correctable. That's why I want to help you tonight understand what to do when you run into a demonized person and you also happen to care about that person. Amen. We don't know somebody and they're demonized. That's not that all big of a deal. We want them to be free. But when we know them and care about them and we watch this happen, it breaks your heart. And you want to do something about it. The question is, you, uh, what do you do that's correct and consistent with Scripture? Look at somebody say, not a, not a day. Spiritually intoxicated. So write this down if you're new to the, you know, this teaching, what we could call you know, basic demonology. 
The first level is temptation. Luke 4, Matthew 4, the devil comes to Jesus and does what? Tempts him. Turn the stone to bread, throw yourself down off this, whatever. And whatever it is, he's, he's taking pieces of Scripture, but he's misapplying that and butchering the Scripture. And how many know Jesus knew the Word? He is the Word. And that's how he defeated him in that temptation. Temptation means that he's coming at you with agitation, with opposition. He's, he's trying to get you little by little to yield to what he actually wants. And everybody goes through this. And how many know it is not a sin to be tempted? The temptation is not the sin. The yielding to the temptation is the sin. I mean, if Jesus could overcome it, then you can. Temptation, enticement, it means hostility, opposition. Did the devil come there in a hostile, opposing you know, manner to Jesus? Absolutely. Because he knew that if he listened to what he said, it was over for all of us. Amen? Ship a saddle home, it's done. But instead of yielding, Jesus what? Spoke the word to him. It is written. Those are powerful words. Look at somebody and say, you need to know where it's written. It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, wouldn't it make sense for the devil to leave after he got shot down one time? How many times did it take? Three times. And the Bible says that the devil left him until... An opportune time. So just because you whip him one time doesn't mean he's not coming back at you. That's temptation. Somebody said one time, well, you know, I don't, I don't pray for me so I'm never tempted again. The only solution for that is for you to leave this earth. Mm-hmm. Now, there'll be a day when that, that presence is not here. But the only way for you not to be tempted right now is to die. Yep. So be careful what you ask for. Amen. Instead of dying, once you stay and proclaim the glory of the Lord, I mean, once you hang around and know how to defeat these operations like temptation. Level two is oppression. Oppression, like other things, uh, refers to pressure that's applied. And write this down. The pressure from the evil one is sustained against you. It can come against your body, can come against your emotions, can come against your mind. Um, people that are habitually discouraged or, or depressed or feel like there's just a gloominess about them, they can't even understand. I mean, everything can be going perfectly right in your life. You can still feel this pressure on your life. The devil's trying to get you to turn loose of your hope in God, to turn loose of the Word of God, you know, and not be everything he's called you to become. Anybody here ever felt depressed before? Yes, if you've, if you've had it for any length of time, you know, you know what it's like to be oppressed. But how do you know the greater one still lives on the inside of you? Yes, amen. And so you don't have to be undone by temptation. You don't have to be pushed off of God's will by pressure. I think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was actually, you know, uh, sweating what? Drops of blood. He was there submitting to the will of God. And you understand the pressure of the enemy is there to do anything but encourage you to do the will of God. You can only imagine everything the devil threw up in his face at that time. You could be this. You could do this. You could have this. What are you doing this for? And yet in reality, he said what? Not my will, but thine be done. Now there's the nugget right there. You want to understand what oppression is all about? To get you off the will of God. That's what oppression is all about. And if you yield to it and you sip off the will of God, can you repent? Yes. yes. But don't make this a habit. You spend a day out of the will of God, a lot of things can happen and you didn't want to happen. Right. Amen. I'm going to skip to level four, which is possession. And by faith, no one here is going to manifest on me tonight. The reason it's important to bring this up, because if, uh, and there's a lot of variety in the body of Christ on this, um, but I think R.W. Schambach put it best when he said, the Holy Ghost lives inside of me, and he ain't going to share it with no devil. Amen. Uh, does that mean that we don't get assaulted by the enemy, that these things are somehow benign or not true? Yes, but there has to be something in terms of your understanding of, of salvation that shows you that a believer, if he is inhabited by the Holy Spirit, is not going to be inhabited simultaneously by a devil. What, does God get this part and the devil gets this part? Or God gets this part and the devil gets this part? Which part does he get? 
Uh, if you will stay born again, I mean, in terms of your refreshed faith, and you will stay on fire for God, you never have to worry about being possessed. Possession happens to people whose what? Whose houses have been vacated and swept clean, right? But there's nothing there. Look at somebody and tell them the light's on, but nobody's home. So why is this important? Because a lot of people get freaked out when it comes to demonology, thinking that somehow I'm a Christian, I'm going to get possessed by the devil. You don't have to be afraid of that. In fact, fear shouldn't enter into the picture at all. He's a defeated foe. There are a lot of things you'd have to do to, to set yourself up for possession at this point in your lives. Amen. And the Christians say, well, they'll possess your ear or he'll possess your knee or he'll possess this or he'll possess your eye. Um, he's not going to possess any part of you because you've been bought with a price. Yes. major ministries have taught these things through the years. I'm just trying to help you out here. You're not living in a bubble, but there are some things that if you'll stay right with God, you're not going to be subject to. There's not a single case in all of Scripture, and Judas was not somebody who was right with God. There's not a single case in Scripture where somebody on right on fire for God was possessed by a devil. How many times? Not once. So be careful when you, fab, you know, fashion a doctrine from silence in Scripture. And just because a Christian acts like a demon doesn't mean they're possessed by one. <laughs> the problem is people who understand where they are at spiritually and they're standing with the Lord in terms of, of demon possession don't understand how powerful demonization can be against their life, against their mind, um, against their, their body, against their, their life in general. And that's one of the things I want you to understand is in these last days, that's the biggest danger for you, to be doing just fine, and it seems like all of a sudden we don't even recognize who you are anymore. Choices that you're making, the things that you're doing, the things that you're believing, how you're treating people. Amen. Um, when you're a pastor, you see all kinds of things, all, all kinds of things on a continuum in terms of behavior. From And everybody has bad days. Look at somebody and say, everybody has bad days. Even you. Um, but when you see things that are so uncharacteristic in somebody you care about, it's like the light has been switched. Remember what I said, it didn't happen overnight. But you don't know who they are. You don't know what they're doing. And when you're married to somebody like that, it's only your, your confidence in Christ and your covenant-mindedness that keeps something like that together. Everybody say, thank God for covenant-minded people. Now that doesn't let the person who's yielded to demonization off the hook. There's responsibility there. I'm just telling you that if you think you're just going to yell at somebody, scream at somebody, rebuke somebody, and they're going to snap out of it, that's the wrong mindset. Amen. So temptation is enticement, hostility, and opposition. Oppression is sustained pressure. Demonization is yielding to the influence, deception, and direction of the devil. Possession is control and domination. And um, do, they, do they come to church sometimes? Yep. Yeah. They went to Asbury. They went to Jesus' obedience. They didn't stay bound up very, very long. But let me ask you this. Who gave Jesus more trouble? The gathering or the Pharisees? The demon-possessed or the demonized? Nothing has changed in ministry in 2,000 years. It's not the demon-possessed that caused me the most problem. Or you. It's the demonized. Now, you've been told and commanded to, what, raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out devils, freely you've received, freely give. But you're going to run into far more demonized persons than demon-possessed persons. And right now, partly because a lot of them are, are hiding in America, but they're there. They're not walking with God. They're not filled with the Spirit. 
They're there. And when they run into somebody who is on fire full of the Holy Ghost, guess what's going to happen to them? Just like in the presence of Jesus, they will manifest. And that's when you will not do things like, well, tell me your name. Where do you live? Do you have any offspring? How many are there of you? He never told you to have a conversation with the demon. He told you to do what with it? Do what? Cast it out. Well, Jesus asked him about Legion. Well, you're not Jesus. Our instruction is to do what? Not talk to them. Why would you want to give a platform for a demon for somebody else in your proximity to hear what they have to say? You cast them out. The difference between demonization, one is where a person yields to influence, deception, and direction. The other one is completely and totally in bondage. They're controlled and they're dominated. And you say, uh, well, that can only happen to people of a certain age. My five-year-old foster brother was possessed by a devil. Five years old. Spirit-filled Lutheran minister took him in his arms and cast that thing out of him. And that boy was like night and day after he had that encounter. It's real. Amen. Uh, Frank and Jackie were telling us about an eight-year-old kid that went into the baptistry at the North Georgia Revival and manifested in the baptistry. You say just because he was in church or in the baptistry, somehow he should not be manifesting? Well, guess what? He got delivered that day. He got more than dunked that day. Amen. He got set free. Say it with me. Total control. Total domination. Um, and that's, that's a reality. Don't make the mistake of thinking this only happens over there in Africa or in Central America, South America, in the third world. No, it happens where? And there's a lot of them. Um, you could go down, for example, the streets of L.A. right now, go to you know, Skid Row, and you will find thousands of people, completely and totally, not just demonized. You will find them in bondage to the nth degree. Uh, we don't need a less emphasis on the Holy Ghost. We don't need to be making fun of these things. No. We need to obey the command more than ever before. Amen. But the question is not for simply the one tempted or the one oppressed or the one that's out there that is in total bondage or affliction to the enemy, but someone who is demonized, what do you do? So you can write these down. This will help you. And again, you're, you're thinking about you know, somebody that you care about, you work with, a relative, somebody in your household, somebody that you love, a friend. They're in serious trouble. What do you do? Well, you don't just do nothing. Can I have an amen? amen? This is not a time to do the do nothing technique. First thing is don't tell them they're demonized. <laughs> well, I'm here to help you because you're demonized. All they're going to hear is, well, they just called me demon possessed because they don't understand the distinction. Um, they're not going to receive that. Remember what I already said, they're not going to be correctable and teachable at this point, so something inflammatory like that is not going to work. Say to me, do not tell them they're demonized. It's only important for you to know that. You have discerned that. Does that make sense? Number two, respond. Don't react and get into strife with them. The Bible tells us we're not supposed to be in strife or quarrelsome. We're not supposed to get into arguments about doctrine. Let people believe what they're going to believe. But you really don't try this when someone's demonized because they're more entrenched than ever on what they say they believe, on their morality, on their doctrine, their justification. Write this word down. Rationalization becomes a masterful skill for the demonized. They will rationalize everything they say everything they do, and they will reverse any kind of responsibility or culpability or blame for it. They are masters at this. Some people in modern vernacular call this kind of gaslighting where everything is somebody else's fault. It's, it's bigger than that. It's rationalization. It's, a, it's ability to actually say that uh, this is perfectly fine and this is the reason it's fine in my life because they said this, they did this. You know, you and I don't have permission to violate scripture just because somebody else does. It's not open season on disobedience because somebody did something wrong. Somebody has to be the adult in the room. Can I have a better amen than that? In the church. In the family. Somebody needs to be the adult. Sometimes in that marriage. Somebody has to be the adult. 
while the other one acts like a demonized adolescent. Are you here today? <laughs> Why don't you want to argue doctrine with them? Why? Well, first of all, we're told not to. But I'll tell you this. Um, in my ministry, I have had conversations and had to try to have conversations with people who were drunk. <laughs> have you ever had a talk with a drunk? Yes. How, how coherent was that? It's not. It we used to go down to the streets of Illinois Avenue and Carbondale where I was raised on Halloween after we were all born again spirit-filled. We tried to have conversations with people that are just plastered. And no matter how much, we, of course, we sowed seeds and gave them tracks like that. But the bottom line is we weren't getting very far. Amen. In our case. Now, when Jerry Savelle didn't know what to do when he was called to preach, he just went out on the streets and started winning people right there on the streets. He walked into a bar and he sat out there on the, on the sidewalk as they stumbled out. He would sit one down and he would talk to them and preach to them. He'd get them saved, get them baptized in the Holy Ghost. And when they leave, they're in their right mind. But generally speaking... You're not going to get very far with somebody who is intoxicated. Demonization means what? They're spiritually intoxicated. And they're not capable of having a rational discussion in most cases. They're going to react to emotions. They're going to react to what they think, the conclusions they have made. And they are, they're master justifiers and rationalizers. And they're even more so when they're under the influence. And you try to have a conversation and, and debate somebody like that, it's not going to happen. Amen. It's too quiet in here. Because I'm not talking about y'all. I'm talking about somebody y'all know. Say we, I refuse to be demonized. But, uh, you know, and I'm not just talking about people I pastor. I know people in the community, you know, people out of town. That are, that are demonized, and I want to help them too. But you're not going to argue them into some kind of, hey, uncle, you win. It's not going to happen. Number three, stay in love even when you're the target of their particular disdain. Why? They're not operating in love. You don't need to be one that operates outside of love as well. Faith, the Bible says, works by Love. You stay in love. And it's tough to do if you're getting shot at. If you're the one, they're maligning. Does that make sense? And I'll tell you this. Demonized people are masters at running their mouth. They are masters at gossip. They are masters at tailbearing. They are masters at tearing people up with their mouth. And all they have to do is just give somebody the platform and they'll take it. And next thing you know, they'll be doing this. And if you're around it, amen, it'll grieve your spirit. Amen. Yes. But your job is to do what? You mean to tell me that they can do whatever they're doing? I have to stay in love. Yes. I have to stay in a place of forgiveness. I can't get bitter about the thing. That's right. Yeah. You do when you realize that that person who got demonized may have become demonized because of longstanding bitterness in their heart. That's true. So why would you want to follow their example in their direction? All right, so one of the front doors to demonization is bitterness. We haven't talked about a lot of these things, but to point this out to you as an example, if you get bitter while trying to help a demonized person, they're going to pull you into the darkness out of the light through the same mechanism they became demonized in the first place. Look at somebody say, stay in love. Well, Pastor, that's so hard. You're not telling me anything. I'm working on uh, an outline in my head for a book called Resilient. I've tossed this off to a few people, uh, just bounced it off of them. And each chapter will be a principle of how you can stay resilient as a child of God in these last days, regardless of what you're doing. And for each chapter, whatever the emphasis is, there's, there's a story that goes with it. And I made it my mind that when I tell those stories, I'm not changing the names to protect the innocent. If I'm going to tell the story, I'm just going to tell the story. They want to sue me, they can sue me. <laughs> but uh, I started rattling these off one day and I said, I got a problem. And they said, what's the problem? This book's going to be too large. <laughs> Come on, say, stay in love. Stay in love. 
Say it again. Say, stay in love. Stay in love. When I was a baby preacher, another preacher slammed his arm against a canoe and then told everybody where I worked, the international headquarters of the Assemblies of God, that I broke his arm. So what should that chapter be titled? I'll tell you what it was. The Lord spoke to my heart. This is just an example for you because that stuff is real. You say, was that person saved? Yeah. Was he a preacher? Yeah. And looking back, yeah, there's an aspect of demonization they're operating in that life. And so the first consideration you have, let's say that you're, you're my age, right? Low 20s in seminary. And you're thinking, this guy's telling everybody that I mentioned it was the international headquarters of the yeah. denomination. Yeah. What a horrible person this guy is. And the reality is, I had nothing to do with it. There were some people that were culpable in what happened, but I was not part of that. And I could hear the Lord saying, just trust me. So you all get a preview of the book called Resilient. The chapter is called Trust. The story is the time somebody broke his arm and blamed me. And the result was that even though he was doing this with his mouth, come on, say, demonized people demonized. run their mouths. Run their come mouth. on, say it again. Demonized people demonized. run their mouths. Run their mouth. That means you shouldn't reciprocate. Amen. But that's what they'll do. I mean, they will bury you so fast and try to attack your reputation. That's why you've got to have a mindset. You know what? I'm going to be like the Lord of no reputation. We're supposed to be dead anyway, aren't we, church? I, am. I went through something pretty, pretty, uh, you know, pretty difficult. And a pastor friend of mine, you know, Mark Torrehoon, who pastored over to Mayfield for years and years and years. And he said, hey, he said, are you hurt? Does that hurt you? And did that wound you? Are you hurt by that? And I said, yes. He goes, you know what? Dead people don't get hurt. I said, do you have any more pearls of wisdom for me? <laughs> That's not <laughs> what I was looking for. But was he biblically correct? Yes. The extent of your hurt right now is the evidence of how much you're still alive and kicking. See, you don't like hearing that any more than I like hearing that. But that's still good counsel if you want to be victorious. So all these people are hearing this story. We're sitting down with a missionary one day at a Chinese restaurant. He breaks into this diatribe about how my youth pastor broke my arm. You say, what do you want to do? I want to throw a wonton at him or something. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just sitting there, you know, just whatever. A couple months go by, and one of his best friends, a pastor in a nearby, nearby town, calls me up, and who knew the whole story, calls me up and says, hey, I'd like you to come over and be our youth pastor if you would. I said, Shazam. Uh, somebody wasn't drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> Are you here? Mm -hmm. And the Lord showed me that it doesn't make any difference what a demonized person says about you. No. The Lord will always cause the truth to come bubbling up. Yes. You'll stand or fall on your own integrity and your own character, even if the mouth is there. Say it with me. Demonized mouths, demonized mouths. know how to run. Uh, we couldn't accept because we had already accepted a, you know, a place in Savannah, Georgia, and we were getting ready to leave. But it ministered to me that this man would call me and say that because he didn't buy the nonsense that was being perpetrated. Can you all have trust in God that way too? Come on, say, I trust God. He's got me covered. He's going to take care of me. What's your job? Stay in love. Amen. You tell everybody I broke your arm? Come over here, I'll break the other one. Then you'll have an even better story. <laughs> Break a leg, too. <laughs> uh, Y'all looking at me so holy. You know what? Sometimes you have those thoughts, don't you? No. Uh, you want to turn the other cheek. Yeah. Amen? And sometimes you want to turn their other cheek. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Moving right along. Say it one more time. Demonized people, people run their mouths. My well, pastor, I tend to run my mouth up. Oh, that's between you and the Lord. <laughs> Say it one more time. Demonized people, people run their mouths. That's just part of the, that spiritual experience. Why? The devil has influence over them. He wants to tear everybody down he possibly can. What is this, number five? Yes. Four. Just four. 
not making much progress here. Hey, I've got 14 in honor of Timothy's message a couple weeks ago. He did 13. I'm going for 14. No, I'm just kidding you. Number four, don't let yourself be influenced by their rhetoric or their posse. That means you do not come into agreement with what they're doing. I don't care what kind of pressure is put on you, what kind of threats are put on you, what kind of things a demonized person says or does. You do not join their posse. Well, the dumbest thing you can do is join somebody else in their spiritual entrapment or in their offense. Don't do it. You don't react to them. You stay in love, but you do not allow that thing to influence you. You're supposed to be influenced by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. When you note and you sense that somebody is demonized, the last thing you need to do is come into agreement with their error. When I watch this, is it's people that are like this. And one of the precursors, of course, of demonization is being offended or bitter. They like to pull in as many people as they possibly can. Amen. Write this down. Listen to the silent person in any issue. Because the silent person is the one that's always right. The talker is almost always the one that is wrong. Why? The one that is silent is secure in the truth. They don't need to build a posse around them. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, don't let yourself be influenced by the rhetoric of the demonized. It's bad enough that they are. Um, this won't come as a surprise to you, but a lot of people became demonized by the things they heard. And so what's going to happen if you hang around that and agree with that? This is real tough if somebody in your household. There's no question about that. But how do you want to see people get free? How do you want to see people walk in victory? They could be in your household, closely connected to your household, whatever. Um, but they became that way through inputs. And if you allow yourself to be exposed to that, the same thing can happen. Uh, you don't agree with somebody in error because you, you want them to know you love them. If you love them, take a stand for what's right. Sometimes godly people just have to come together and, and bite the bullet and put themselves in a position to be hated and rejected over an issue. Years ago, somebody made a wrong choice in, in leadership in terms of their own uh, the lifestyle. And uh, there are four or five of us that, that loved this man and wanted the best for him and actually went over to his house and lovingly and with kindness just simply quoted the scripture about the direction he was going was wrong. And, you know, every one of us thought we might not get out of there without some kind of facial contusion. But it didn't escalate. And a few weeks later, you know what this person did? They backed down and came to their senses. It happens, but it's, it's not an everyday occurrence. And thank God that, that he did. But it was a bad situation. And so those of us that went there, you know what we were thinking? What we were thinking is, let's find the oldest elder that we can in the church, and that way he'll be more respectful. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding you. Uh, we were thinking this is not going to go well. But when you really love somebody, yes. you're not going to sit them drive, you know, off a cliff no. because you don't want to offend anybody. Right. Mm. There is a time to do this, and it should be spirit-directed, and it should be done with love and kindness. Amen? But not reacting, but responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It's very scriptural. Matthew 18 talks about go show thee what... Go show them the air. Go show them the sin. They respond. You won your brother. That kind of a thing. There is a time where it escalates to that level. And you need to be aware that God may at times have you do something like that. Amen? But don't let yourself be influenced by that rhetoric. And don't uh, get into a place of neutrality because you just want to love the person and don't want to offend anybody. Sometimes, you know, we're just going to be offensive. Amen? Glory to God. Are you still here today? Amen. Say it one more time. Don't enter into agreement, Don't enter into agreement. With, their with their error. Often these same people will come after their spiritual influencers to neutralize any accountability or influence they have with you. 
In other words, in the local church, they'll, they'll talk against leadership. They'll talk against the board. They'll talk against the pastors. They'll talk about you know, the teachers in that church because they don't want you having any kind of accountability in that situation. That's one of the weapons of the demonized. Be careful with that. When you hear that kind of thing going on, you know something's not good that's going on in that situation. Is it number five? What comes after five? <laughs> Don't skip on you. Just mess you up. Huh? You'd be like, what do I do in the middle of the night? <laughs> Number five, intercede for them boldly in tongues. Amen. Sometimes you don't know what to say in English. In these kinds of situations, we are really at a loss for words. But we can pray in the Holy Ghost. Amen? Yeah. If I'm dealing with somebody you know, and they're happening, you know, imagine somebody's here and they're demonized. And don't say that I said the person that normally sits here is demonized. Amen? Because that's, that's not what I'm saying here. <laughs> you know, when you're a pastor, you have to explain everything. You just can't leave anything out. But I can just say, you know what, Father, right now in Jesus' name, I am praying for Joe. And I, I don't think we have any Joes in there, do we? Oh, thank God. Amen. <laughs> and I, for the next 15, 20 minutes, Lord, or every, every morning at 7 o'clock to 7.15, I'm praying in the Holy Ghost over this situation. And then what happens is the Spirit of God will pray through you in accordance with the will and the Word of God. It's the smartest thing you can do when somebody's demonized. As you know, you may have something you think is okay to pray, but your flesh might get into it, your frustration might get into that situation. But listen to me, the Holy Ghost never gets frustrated in the flesh. Praise the Lord. That's right. Ever. So it's a powerful tool in your tool belt to deal with things like demonization. And remember that everything you say in tongues comes to pass, and everything you pray in tongues lines up with the Word of God. How encouraging is that? Anybody here ever prayed in English and you know it wasn't necessarily the will of God or did not it with the Word of God? Anybody here ever pray full prayers? Just, just a couple of you. Amen. The rest of us are very holy. <laughs> Anybody ever pray frustration prayers? Yes. Yes. So frustrated, you started telling God what He needs to do, just like Martha. <laughs> Tell her to help me with the dinner. You got a problem when you start ordering the Lord around. You're close to demonized when you start. <laughs> He's the Lord. Yes. Number six. Confess the word over their lives. Say what God says about them. Declare the goodness of God and what it says about their lives. Whether it's the promises of God or scriptures on character or nature, right choices. Letter of the Holy Ghost, amen. They're more in love with God than they've ever been before. They're on fire for God. Say what God says about them. Not what you would think or somebody else, but or even what the circumstances say. Say what God says about them. Number seven is closely related to that. Bless them. Do not criticize them. As Peter says, we're called to bless when you talk to them, yes, you may be used by God to bring some redirection, but bless them to their face and bless them in the ears of others. I've said this many times. We should actually cause, you know, when we're talking to somebody, say we're talking about somebody else, Barbara and I have a conversation, and we're having a conversation about Ruth. I mean, Ruth is an outstanding individual. Yes, she is. She's from St. Louis, so that's got to be cool. That's right. Amen. <laughs> but... Um, when I'm done talking to Barb and her name comes into our mouths, we should each have a higher esteem of Ruth than when we started the conversation. And if you're not doing that, you're not walking in the love of God. That person should be built up in the eyes of the person. If I have something to say about Ruth, she should walk around saying, I feel better about Ruth than I ever had before. More encouraged about Ruth than ever before. That's a discipline. That's something that people do. We're called to what? To bless. Bless means to say good things about. Yes. Curse means to say what? Bad things. Bad things about. Now, you know, from time to time, out of frustration, we all will say things. Yeah. Well, as you develop in Christ, that should become more the exception than the rule. Yes. Where everybody in your mouth, amen, that you talk about diminishes 
how that person sees that person because they interacted with you. Y'all remember the little kids we had on the screens a couple years ago yeah. talking about love? Yeah. And you know what the little kid said? He said, that person's name is safe in my mouth. That demonized person's name needs to be safe in your mouth. You bless. You don't curse. Is that hard to do? Yeah, especially if they're really acting the fool. Tearing things up, destroying, burning bridges. That's what demonized people do. And so what are you going to do? Their name is still going to be safe in your mouth. Because you're not going to get breakthrough by cursing them. And if they're a child of God, and oftentimes this is the case. Why? Because you and I, at a certain point in time, socialize more with what? With believers. So it's not uncommon for a believer to be demonized under that influence. And that person's name should be safe in your mouth because you're a believer. Because we're what? Called to bless. Shout that out. I am called to bless and not curse. Boy, is that hard? And I don't mean the southern phrase when somebody does something stupid and you say, bless their heart. <laughs> I said that randomly the other day and, and Timothy just cracked up because he was making the connection that I was being facetious and sarcastic. I actually meant it, bless their heart. <laughs> but everybody in the south knows what? That actually means, bless their heart means, what an idiot. Yes. Isn't that right, Mike? <laughs> okay. Something like that, huh? Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Everybody say, bless your heart. We're called to what? Bless. Number eight, take authority over the mind-blinding spirit in operation. Take authority over the mind-blinding spirit in operation against that person's mind. It's very real. It's supernatural. It is not natural. And if you think it is natural, you're going to lose every battle when you run into a demonized person. Say it, it's supernatural. It's beyond the natural what's going on with them. And if you just treat it as something that's natural, you're going to be frustrated and just think it's all about the flesh and bad choices, which that's part of it, but it's beyond that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. That applies to people that are, are not born again, but the same operation of a demonic spirit can come against the mind of a believer and be trapped in some area of their belief system. Say so it mind-blinding spirits. Mind well, guess spirit. what? You have authority over those things. Yes. So what you can do, again, don't run up to their face and say, I rebuke that mind-blinding spirit on you. That is not going to work. In fact, they may say, oh, I think I know what a mind-blinding spirit is. I do not. Have. You know what? Somebody with a mind-blinding spirit is not going to say, you're right, I have one. <laughs> They're what? They're blind. <laughs> Their mind is blind. So even if you tell them that, they're not going to be able to do anything with it. But you can do something about that in a place of prayer yes. and confession. Say it with me. I rebuke. I and I bind up I that mind-blinding spirit over my brother, over my sister. But that's not something you call them on the phone and say, hey, I want to rebuke that mind-blinding spirit. You might find yourself getting rebuked. That was number eight. Are we still on the same page here numerically? Number nine, so little seeds of truth in their lives as opportunities arrive. This is not preaching. This is not scolding. This is not rebuking. Little teachable moments where you can sow a seed. That seed can grow up and do what? It can absolutely grow up and cause that thing to bow its knee. You never know what the key will be for somebody coming out of this intoxication. Amen? Where people get intoxicated, the Word of God has the ability to supernaturally bring them to their senses. Not through preaching, not through maligning, not through rebuking, not with disgust or frustration, but little teachable moments. And when you do this right, they'll go deep into the heart and it has a chance to come out and produce a harvest 30, 60, and 100 for Why? Because the Word is supernatural. Yes. Say to me, the Word of God, Word of God. is supernatural. supernatural. There are no duds in here. None. No. They all grow up and produce. They find good ground. 
Um, and y'all remember the story of Polly Wigglesworth? She was on fire for God, preaching the gospel and going to church. And one night she said, Smith, I'm going to church. And he said, I forbid you to go to church. And for those of you who still might be under the influence of thinking that, uh, that a man of God um, can just say anything they want, and as a woman you should just snap to it and bow your knee, O Salabim, consider this. His job is to seek the face of God and speak on behalf of God. And when Smith said, you're not going to church, I forbid it, that is not something anybody in the household should be listening to. That is not an issue of submission. That is in direct defiance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. Are you here? Yes. And she understood that. Well, he said, go on. If you go to church, I'm going to lock the door behind you. And guess what? She went to church. He locked the door. She couldn't get in, comes back at night. She leans up against the door frame of the door, falls asleep, goes to sleep, and then he opens up the door, and she falls into the doorway. Now, at that moment in time, I'm thinking, what would my mom do in that situation? <laughs> I'm, because I'm pretty sure that it's not pop up like Polly did, say, Smith, what do you want for breakfast? I can see my mom grabbing a pan, <laughs> but not necessarily <laughs> to cook with. And you know what happened? God touched that man. One night he's up at that church and he's preaching under the anointing with such power. And somebody came and said, Polly, Polly, you need to come see this. You need to come see this. She goes, what's going on? It's your husband. It's your husband. She, she didn't know what was going on. So she stands back at the back of the church and she, she sees this man preaching like a house on fire. And she shakes her head. She says, that's not my Smith. That's not my Smith. Can you see how her seeds of truth and lifestyle, her gentle spirit and how she handled things ended up producing one of the greatest revivalists in the past century. Never wrote his own books, never was on broadcast. That wasn't his thing. But the stories are just monumental. And anywhere from 11 to 15 to 17 verified raisings of the dead of people who weren't dead, pretend dead. I'm talking dead. And keep this in mind, when they were raised from the dead, there was no CPR. There were no paddles. There was no defibrillation going on. You understand? Just up. It pays. The person that's demonized might become the greatest giant of faith in the land. So don't give up on them. Who knows what God has for them? And I'll even be willing to say this to you. The fact that devils come after them like that is proof that God has a great plan for the life. And the devil's trying to compromise that life. So don't you let him get away with it. You stay on your path and you keep on sowing those little seeds of truth that will help that person. Amen? And if in some small way God used you to bring them to where we're supposed to be, you'll have great rejoicing. You already know where they're headed if they stay on this path. But how about a different path altogether? Amen. I've seen some, some seriously demonized people come back to their senses. Come on, say it. They're coming back to their senses. In Jesus' name. They're going to let this thing go to destruction and blow up everything around them. No, they're coming to their senses in Jesus' name. That word of God has, a, has an effect of bringing somebody out of that condition. What is it uh, with, with narcotics overdose? What is that, uh, that the syringe they give them? Narcan. Is that what it is? And what does that do? Neutralizes the effect potential depression of the respiratory system and their cardiac system and saves their lives. The Word has that kind of effect on people who are demonized. But not in preaching, preaching, preaching form. Look at somebody say, in sowing form. And then last but not least, plead the blood of Jesus over them. I'm not talking about people in the Word. I'm talking about brothers and sisters. Say brothers and sisters. Who were bought with a price. Amen. And you have the right to say, I plead the blood of Jesus over that person in Jesus' name. I plead the blood of Jesus over their mind, over their heart, over their emotions. This is not going to stand. Use the blood as a weapon. Yes. It's the blood of the covenant. And even though they're acting all wacky and weird, guess who still loves them? The Lord does. Guess who still died for them? The Lord did. Guess who still sees them as a person who's righteous, even though they're acting the fool? You mean to tell me that somebody can be demonized and Jesus still see them as righteous? It's because it was imputed righteousness. Amen. 
They just fell into a ditch. Don't assume that everybody that falls into a ditch cannot be redeemed. That's right. Come on, say, I plead, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ over that person. They're coming out of it. And the word of God is something that comes somebody, you know, to come out of that intoxicated state, the blood of Jesus, powerful in that regard as well. To come to their senses, just like that young man who was in that pig pen. What's interesting about that scripture, it's the same concept as what Paul was talking to Timothy. He was spiritually Listen, he, no doubt, was probably literally intoxicated at times in his lifestyle that he chose. But in that picture, he was spiritually intoxicated. And guess what happened? He woke up. Amen. And he got up and went to his father, who was what? Prepared to bless him and restore him. Now, what part of that story do you and I have? We have the part of the father to play. To bless them and restore them. Put on the robe of righteousness, not some blanket of shame. Amen. Do you know what you did? Because if we play that game, you and I'll be wearing that blanket of shame. That's true. Amen? That's true. But you put on what? The, the shoes of sonship. You put on the robe of righteousness. The Father restores his ability to transact and do kingdom business in his name with that ring. He slaughters the fattened calf and has a party and a celebration. That's the way Christians should be when a believer is down the path of demonization and they wake up. Right, you got your brother back. You got your sister back. You got their destiny back. You got their future back. Yes. It's serious stuff. And the reason I bring this up is because the times we're living in, you're going to see more of it. But you need to make up your mind you're not going down that path. Amen. Say it with me. When I'm tempted, I'll throw the word of God at the enemy. When I'm under pressure, I will not yield and give up. If I am upset, I will forgive quickly. I will not become bitter. Amen? Did you get something out of that tonight? Amen. Now, how many seriously raised hand know somebody that is this right now, and you're just you're not judging them, you're just being objective. You feel like there's strong demonization working against their life. Just raise your hand, because we're going to pray for them right now. You don't have to give us names. It's not, not relevant. Raise your hand up high. You want to just agree with somebody that's going through this right now. Now, let me ask you this. You got your hands right up? Are those believers? I'm not dealing with unbelievers right now. Okay? Raise your hand up high. We're going to pray. Say it with me. Say in Jesus' name. I pray right now for my brother, for my sister, to come up out of this stupor of spiritual intoxication. I'm not even concerned how they got there. My heart is that they'll come out in Jesus' name. Lord, use me as an intercessor, as a sower, as a servant, as an instrument to help bring them back and restore them. And when I see them coming, I'm in celebration mode. I'm in restoration mode. I'm going to help them find their place. I'm going to help them see God still has a mighty plan for them. God still has something for them to do. In Jesus' name, I am an instrument of restoration. In Jesus' name, I believe right now, I'll make right choices. I'll handle these things the correct way. Let your love, let your grace, let your mercy flow through me into their lives. Give me words to say. Give me actions to take. But if you don't speak, I'm going to just stay there and pray. I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost Every day for a certain amount of time for that person. And I fully expect for them to wake up, for them to come to their senses in Jesus' name. Amen. And do that. Pick 5, 10, 15 minutes. Lord, I'm designating this time to do that. I'm going to let you work on them, do whatever is necessary, but I'm going to be an intercessor for this person's welfare. You'd be amazed what God can do. Amen. Aren't you glad God doesn't give, on, give up on us so easily? Amen. How about we don't give up on each other so easily? That's it. Amen. 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 Isn't that what an offended person does? Yeah. Well, I give up on you. I'm done with you. That's not the way we're supposed to be. 
Amen. We're supposed to be covenant-minded towards one another. Amen. Be covenant-minded towards, amen, your, your brothers and sisters, your, the mission of your church, your organization, amen. Because um, that's how you build strength. That's how you get something done. And don't let the devil come in between you and what you know you're supposed to be. These are the days where you need to be, you know, as Griffith once said, walking around as barefooted priests. You don't really see everything, but how do you know that your bare feet can pick up the topography underneath you? Yeah. Is it cold? Is it hot? Is it sharp? Is it dangerous? Is it soft like sand? What's going on? And you take steps deliberately and carefully in this time and in this season. Don't open yourself up to things that could cause you to be diminished and certainly not spiritually drunk. I'm telling you, that I'm, I, you know how I feel about mind-altering substances. It's a classy way to get right, I mean, just absolutely perfect way to get involved in demonization as a Christian, to subject yourself to substances. Just repent of it and move on in your life. I'm telling you that is true, but by far more dangerous than anything you can take or put in your body is spiritual intoxication. It just so happens that physical intoxication is often a prelude or a co- Amen. Condition to being spiritually drunk. Amen. And that's not what God has called us to be. Uh, when you're drunk, shouldn't drive. Can I have a good amen? amen? Can you do anything well when you're drunk? No. Come on. Can you do anything well when you're drunk? No. No. My grandfather was a fall down drunk. My grandfather beat my grandmother and my mom and her three sisters. Uh, my mom, when she was 13 years old, had to take away a gun, a shotgun or whatever from my grandfather who had pointed at my mother because my mom intervened. He pointed the gun at her. She disarmed, he, uh, she disarmed him and pointed the gun back at him. It was only the mercy of God she didn't pull that trigger. Now, I know what it's like. And our family knows what it's like to see this kind of thing. He would get home, get a paycheck, Drinking up down at the bar, philandering, going, stepping out on my grandmother. And at 13 years old, my mom would walk up to the bar and get the money back from the bartender because he would spend all the money in that bar. And, uh, yeah, hallelujah. Uh, even the bartender was afraid of her. <laughs> well, he drank it up. I don't care. Give me the money. <laughs> it has something to do with being from St. Louis. That's right. Hearts of gold that don't mess with us. <laughs> um, yeah. These are open doors. Um, you know, spiritism, tarot cards, horoscope, you know, all kinds of things that are out there, animated and in motion pictures that try to hook you up to that side and desensitize you to that stuff. Close those doors. We can't afford you to be demonized. Amen. Hold your faith out for those that are. Say it with me. They're coming back to their senses. Say it with me. Every prodigal is coming back to their senses. You say, well, Pastor Art, the person may be demonized, but uh, they don't think they're prodigal. That's because they're demonized. <laughs> of course they don't think they have a problem. That's the whole point. So glory to God. Give the Lord a hand clap if you can receive this today.